0: what happens next this time we're taking a look at an entirely new topic the future of healthcare COVID-19 has created and accelerated changes in the healthcare sector and how we think about our health as individuals as a nation and a society in this topic we'll discover what happens if we don't change what are the opportunity costs if we fail to grasp this moment and learn from this experience We talk to the experts who are driving the changes we need right here in Australia and how technology and behavioural science can help drive positive social outcomes. And as usual, we'll have all the practical tips you need to make change yourself. If maximal speed in telehealth is 100 k's an hour, we sort of went from 10 or 15 k's an hour right up to 90 very quickly. The pandemic has driven the shift, but it hasn't actually created the products or the platforms that we're using. It's just enabled their utilisation.
1: What are we doing for the people that will follow us, our children and and their children, um, and and the legacy that we leave?
2: Addressing the pandemic and addressing climate change involve complex science to communicate, and um, that's not always so
0: easy. In this episode, we'll hear from two medical experts who specialise in planetary health. Maitri Guna-Taleka is an Associate Professor in Global Health in the Faculty of Medicine, Health and Nursing at Monash University. For the past 15 years, Maitri has worked as a clinician and public health worker in both Australia and Eswatini in Sub-Saharan Africa. Dr. Selena Lowe, a Senior Research Fellow at the Monash Sustainable Development Institute, has been responsible for global and planetary health commissions and has worked for Doctors Without Borders across the world let's hear from Maitri Gunatileka.
1: Hi, my name is Maitri Gunatileka. I'm a GP and I'm an Associate Professor in Global Health at Monash University.
0: Dr Maitri, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: Tell me what the future will look like if we don't change the way that we think about healthcare or healthcare delivery.
1: Well Susan, I think it's pretty clear that we're at the nexus of all of these sort of intersecting global challenges. So, you know, the, the very obvious ones are things like the global pandemic that we're facing. Then we have these environmental emergencies like the bushfire disasters and climate change. And then there's all of these sort of social injustices and inequities. We've got global poverty. We've got an entire global refugee crisis with millions of displaced people around the world. We've got ever-increasing disparities between the health of Indigenous and non-Indigenous populations. Um, And what we see at the moment is that there is this kind of very reductive way in which we deal with a lot of these challenges. We just take each one in its own little silo and we say, "Okay, let's do five things for this and five things for this and then we've, we've done our job. I think the problem is that unless we start to look at all of this as a complex system that there is this big sort of matrix of factors which are interacting and and causing the manifestation of these challenges we're just going to see more and more challenges and that is um i I think the 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 sad reality at the moment is that we're just seeing more and more and more and that's that's what will continue to happen
0: Mm. What is planetary health, and why does it matter?
1: Is so it just planet- about
0: environment? It sounds like it's, we're just talking about the health of the oceans, but I yeah, it, well.
1: it sounds very Star Trek, doesn't it? So planetary health—that's <laughs> um, what I thought when I first heard it. But it's actually a, a really lovely way of articulating some of this complexity, um, which which we deal with in health. So it's it's about the health of the human civilization, but it's also about the health of the systems on which that civilization depends. Mm-hmm. So it's about environmental sustainability, it's about social equity and justice, um, it's about giving people that were traditionally uh, silenced within a conversation or discourse, giving them prominence. And it's about future generations. So we talk about this idea of intergenerational equity, which I think is such an awesome. Idea. It's this thing of what are we doing for the people that will follow us, our children and, and their children, um, and, and the legacy that we leave. So it, it really is about looking holistically and um, ecologically at health.
0: Why, why is that important? Is it um, because, as you said, we've kind of been thinking about things too individually and, and too blocky and not focusing enough on how they connect or is it, is it something else?
1: What we know is that social disorder and environmental disorder actively generates and perpetuates biological disorder. And so often we in healthcare... Get really blinkered in our vision. We just look at okay, here are symptoms of diseases, and we'll address the symptoms, and then move on to the next person. Because and often that's that's to do with you know being time poor and resource restrained. You know those those things lead us to look at health in that way. But we 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 know that the science tells us that unless you address the root causes, which are often environmental and social, you are only going to get more and more um, health challenges. And so that's why Mm. it's so important that we look at all of this disorder as part of our conversation around health.
0: You might have noticed we're in a global pandemic. And Mm. as well as the obvious (laughs) health challenges that come with that, we see the cascade that, that comes from it, economic challenges, social challenges, medical challenges, environmental, the whole, the whole host that's, that's ricocheting off that. Mm. Has anything come from the, the current crisis that we find ourselves in that, um, that are presenting opportunities to us about the way we can be thinking about the future of healthcare? And how can we most make the most of this opportunity of time that we're in when we think about healthcare particularly?
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, pandemics expose all of the stuff that we try to sort of not think about (laughs) on a day-to-day basis. It exposes the inequalities. It exposes the weaknesses within the health system, you know. So from a, a systems perspective, I mean, just talking about the Australian health system, I mean, we are seeing... Um, the issues laid bare, which, you know, people that are in the system have been talking about for decades, but people outside the system, you know, aren't really aware of. And it's really useful because when we we become aware of it, we can fix it, we can address it. Um, So it's not just about addressing workforce shortages within the system. It's about looking at infrastructure and the technologies, the appropriate technologies, and, and about the systems which connect different Um, parts of that system and then also it's about understanding that pandemics you know we've always known that pandemics expose inequality because unfortunately people who are vulnerable people who are marginalized are are impacted by communicable diseases and non-communicable diseases at much higher rates so in america you're seeing you know three to four times the death rate um, uh, for COVID patients in African-American populations. Mm. I mean, it's, that's just astounding, but it is something which we know when people have structural discrimination, it affects their access to healthcare, which increases their rates of non-communicable disease, chronic diseases. And when you have chronic diseases, you're more vulnerable to an infection, you know? And, and this mm. is the same thing that happens here in Australia with um, our vulnerable communities as well, you know, um, our Indigenous communities in Australia have um, far, have had a history of these disparities in health. And so often, we've just talked about them as, oh, you know, it just exists, not recognising that there is a history of like in, in, in our country of Systematic displacement and segregation and forced assimilation, and then on, on, and this sort of ongoing structural discrimination, which has led to these differences in health outcomes. So we have the opportunity to take the blinkers off and say, hey, if we're going to fix this, we need to address all of this other stuff that is more upstream.
0: Can we then better prepare for these types of situations in the future? Sadly, we know pandemics will come again. What have we learned from this situation that we can do to prepare better? Like you said, we, that's revealed some of these structural things. Maybe what do we know before that we can take with us into the future?
1: What we what we know is that we live in a globalized world where there is an unprecedented rate of interaction between nations. So, you know, I mean, not necessarily right now in this moment where where we can't fly out, but, you know, as plane travel continues at these extraordinary rates, um, you are going to see pandemics. You are going to see infections, which are not limited by the borders of a particular country. Um, we know that every year at the World Health Summit in Berlin, um, they talk about disease X, X being what will the next big disease be? What will be the next Ebola or the next COVID nineteen? <laughs> and this year, that's what it, that's what it is. But yeah. what we do know is that it doesn't end with COVID nineteen. You know, there will be another, and All that we can do at the moment is to really prepare ourselves so that our health system is the most resilient it can be and our society is the most resilient it can be so that we can actually try to dismantle some of these structural vulnerabilities which leave us vulnerable to this disease. And and it is by addressing those social and environmental inequities that we are able to better scaffold and strengthen, galvanise the system.
0: What what would it look like to you if you could create a a really perfect healthcare system and a health delivery service?
1: Well, I think fundamentally what what we want to see is that um, at the same time that we are addressing Healthcare delivery so that all people have optimum access to healthcare services. Um, we would also be able to address these systems issues that we've been talking about, which means addressing the climate um, issues, you know, making sure that we're reaching the Paris targets, you know, that were set out for us, making sure that. Um, we're addressing the homelessness issues within the country, making sure that we are looking at um, the engagement and the empowerment of Indigenous people within our country and looking at the global refugee crisis and displacement in the context of climate change. I mean, you know, when Mm -hmm. when you see um, a... The, the sea levels are rising because the ice caps are melting because of, you know, increased carbon emissions, you're going to get more refugees. People don't have places to live. And um, and we can't turn our backs to that. We can't um, be blind to the reality of what's happening to our world. So I think in a utopian setting, what we, what we would be doing is be opening our eyes to this complex matrix of, Factors and addressing all of them together. Now, that is a really that's why we call it utopian <laughs> because <laughs> it's you know it's it's so difficult. But I think what we can do is at least start with an awareness that that this is how it works and then think about how we integrate our policies so that it, we are thinking about the climate. We are thinking about social injustice while we're thinking about health.
0: My three, this was so interesting. I really appreciate it. And it's always nice to have a Star Trek reference thrown into the podcast. So thank well, you so, so much for your time.
1: <laughs> my <laughs> pleasure, Susan. All the best.
0: Let's hear from Selena Lowe.
2: I'm Selena Lowe. I'm a Senior Research Fellow at the Monash Sustainable Development Institute. And my other life, I'm a consulting editor to The Lancet Medical Journal, uh, based out of London, and there I commission work on planetary and global health.
0: Dr. Selena Lowe, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much, Susan, for having me. What does the future of healthcare and health service delivery look like if we don't change how we think about it?
2: Yes, thanks, Susan. Um, I think that's a really big question. And um, it's probably for me not so much changing the way we think about healthcare and health service delivery, but more in terms of where we're taking the action. Uh, Because we've recognised for a very long time that um, health is determined by much more than just biomedical um, interventions uh, in treatment or in hospital care, but also relies on social determinants of health, um, so our economic um, ability to access health, but also uh, political, legal, and um, now environmental determinants of health and even commercial determinants of health. So how industry um, and choices that we make um, affect our healthcare outcomes. If we um, continue on this current trajectory, we and our children, or particularly our ch- children, are going to be living in a world four degrees hotter uh, in a few decades' time, affecting everything from um, the supply of food to the frequency of natural disasters and also new and emerging diseases um, with significant mental health burden, not to mention all of the plant and animal diversity loss. And while we've always known about the risk of a you know, like a modern global pandemic for years, um, we haven't really implemented on um, on the messages or the assessments of um, those previous reports. For example, in um, 2015, The Lancet published uh, an Ebola commission identifying that the world was not prepared really for the next pandemic or for a pandemic, and that was five years ago. On climate change, we've seen increasing understanding and also commitment um, in terms of the threat and the opportunities of linking climate change action to health outcomes. Um, Uh, there's so many um, different direct consequences um, from flood and drought and heat waves, but also indirect um, consequences of climate change, uh, including um, this um, complex relationship of um, animal and human host. So, um, I mean, I'd argue that it's um, not so much that we don't have the understanding and the thinking because we've had very sophisticated scholarship around social, political, legal, ecological determinants But what we're not so great at is um, acting, you know, to um, uh, mitigate um, all of this in implementation in the type of funding action we do and um, kind of building up a new cadre of workers um, for, um, um, for the future. I would also argue that um, the future is actually now (laughs) that um, uh, COVID and also our summer um, that we've just seen passing in Australia is in fact um, um, the stress test um, um, or the stress future that has kind of revealed all of these um, inequities and our um, not so much inability, but perhaps neglect of um, direct action on these inequities but um, also um, that with um, increasing understanding of um, these different links um, that um, uh, we're coming to a um, greater, uh, at least within um, uh, the health space, understanding of our um, inextricable links to our environment and um, what that means in terms of the urgent action needed um, to determine our future.
0: What opportunities is this current crisis presenting and how do you think we can uh, make the most use of them in, in when we think about healthcare and health service delivery?
2: I think that COVID and the complexity of what we call planetary health have got a lot of commonalities. Addressing the pandemic and addressing climate change involve complex science to communicate and um, that's not always so easy, but um, it also involves and needs to have global international cooperation. So both action on climate change and action on the pandemic need that. But the other commonality is that no matter what, um, both of these burdens will affect the vulnerable largely and um, more acutely. And the different only real difference between them um, that I see is that it's actually in the action, in sort of the immediate understanding of the threat and action on it, because the pandemic has actually uh, mobilised huge resources and historically, you know, unpredicted um, responses from some governments in terms of how they're um, looking after their most vulnerable as well and protecting them during this period. And one piece of legislation I find quite interesting right now is this Welsh Act of uh, the wellbeing of future generations. They enacted this in Wales in 2015, and it was after... number of years of working on sustainable development in Wales, I think they're well prepared to understand the many determinants of health. But this Act is so unprecedented because it, by nature, is protecting future generations by addressing health and wellbeing and environmental challenges right now for the next generation. So opportunities like that are already here. And I would say, you know, it's the system, um, these sort of system buildings that we have to start doing To answer the question in terms of um, looking at the good, you know, there's so many anecdotes, um, whether it's at an individual level being a little bit more self-sufficient, those of us who can, not traveling so much, um, which is better for the environment anyway, building a better sense of community. Um, These are the positive stories coming out, but I'm obviously cynical, you know I mean? We we, we record these positive stories and really what we should be um, recording also is um, all the people that don't have those connections. On a more sort of global or national level, there are um, opportunities you know for scientists um, to work together very quickly and real time. you know they coded um, the genome really quickly um, um, because of international cooperation and that really has to be protected as a global public good. Um, no matter you know our politics between countries we have to protect scientists and their right to and um other world's right to access collaborated data other opportunities are not so much in the you know direct health space but just thinking of <laughs> conflict and health for example um in the last 20 years 30 world heritage sites were destroyed by wars and um Yet in the last few months we've seen ceasefires, you know, in eleven countries because of the pandemic, and uh, this has to be good, no matter how cynical we are. So UNESCO, for example, they had a um, they have quite a beautiful campaign at the moment talking about the next normal, and it's essentially collecting, you know, such good news stories, um, less shooting in US schools, um, and that um, different mobile operators in Africa are granting free online access to education resources. Stories like that are, I think, um, just as important as stories of, you know, where the um, cases of COVID are going up and down. And um, we need to kind of get together on that, I think, yeah. as a global yeah. community.
0: we can um, better prepare for these types of situations in the future. Have we learned anything from this pandemic that we maybe didn't know that we could use uh, in future situations?
2: We already knew that we are so globally interconnected both to our benefit and um, to our risk, um, risk of emerging diseases um, and risk of, I think, you know, exploitation of um, certain markets um, that are not able to best protect themselves um, for more, for more sort of powerful multinational um, corporations. Um, we also knew that the animal, human, and plant natural world are interconnected, and that um, in you know, in the last uh, uh, ten years, nearly all, um, or at least a large. Majority of the newer um, disease, infectious diseases that have emerged, um, have come from the natural world, and so just just to disrespect the inherent um, relationship of how we are interconnected with our with nature is really to disrespect our you know our own future at our peril. And um, many scholars are now already pointing out that we should have perhaps in, uh, invested in more transdisciplinary research, perhaps around you know the one health network um, uh, linking animal and human um, science. They had already, you know, predicted emerging um, outbreaks many years ago and um, uh, asked for systems to be in place and investments to be in place before that happened. So we already knew that. We already um, knew also that um, some of us are more vulnerable to disease, whether it's chronic disease or infectious disease, but um, this um, pandemic has really revealed the um, that correct hypothesis that um, the most vulnerable among us are, um, are the ones most at risk um, by nature of the kind of work that people have to do and then also their living conditions whether it be migrants um, or um, people in um, very crowded refugee communities for example and then the other thing that we knew is that really um, our health system and our health are the core backbone of individual and community thriving. And I'd argue, um, and many others would too, um, national prosperity beyond um, GDP. We have to start thinking about, um, you know, our concept of prosperity. What does that mean? It it should really also mean, you know, health and wellbeing and, um, and thriving. I think what we could have forced ourselves to see better, even as um, the first few months were coming out, is to... Um, maybe prioritise um, action around the tools and the and the importance of trust and the tool of communication, because um, communication um, is still um, the very best vaccine in situations like this, but it's also at worst, and we've seen it in some countries, a quite a dangerous weapon. And now that we're all in social media virtual space, we're kind of at the mercy of, you know, the ads or the clicks or the algorithms that come up. And depending on our own interests or fears, it it just sort of, you know, feeds into um, our own inherent biases, um, unfortunately. Um, and so the second area that um, maybe um, we could have better prioritised some discussion or uh, multidisciplinary discussion at a national level or international level around is is in the face of evolving evidence, which is what we still have with um, the actual disease of COVID, we don't know everything about it. We don't really know how it affects um, young children or adolescents. We don't really know even um, those people with mild disease or asymptomatic. Do they have long-term sequelae and consequences and what they are, or the mental and then the mental health burden of living with all this uncertainty? There's so much we don't know. We don't even know, um, you know, the... Um, for example, when we closed down the schools, you know what what would happen after that? Because largely in northern Northern Hemisphere, they haven't really had their schools open in all this time, so it's not as though those studies were there at um, in in great number. So um, the perhaps something we could have prioritised is um, to really examine um, um, as a given the precautionary principle in the face of um, poor or, or evolving evidence. And I'm not saying that we didn't do well in any country, but um, I I mean, I I work in evidence-based medicine in my other role outside of Monash as a medical editor, and um, it is not, um, you know, perfect or um, strategic, really, how studies come out. They just come out because that's how researchers have done it. And the the duty of, um, you know, governments and people... Um, responsible for policy making in in outbreaks, for example, is to take the best evidence and you know to use the precautionary principle to make decisions in that. And I think we've kind of done the best we can. But some kind of scholarship examination of this method would be interesting. And then lastly, um, but most importantly, um, my lesson and one that I always have been trying to promote in the last few months here is that health workers really are our most precious resource Mm -hmm. and most vulnerable in this fight. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see it now in Melbourne with um, rising number of uh, health workers affected, but we saw it months and months ago um, in China and they need to be protected, not just physically, you know, with the right PPE, the best protection possible, but I think they also need to be protected in their voice. And um, from China to the States, to UK to here, Health workers trying to um, speak about their situation have um, have not always had that freedom to do so, and um, I think to risk not listening is um, really a risk.
0: Selina Lowe, lots to think about there. Thank you so much for your time today.
2: No worries. Thank you so much, Susan. That was a pleasure
0: some incredible ideas to consider from that discussion. More information on what we talked about today can be found in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next time.